Welcome to Soul Talk, soulful conversations exploring who you are, why you're here, and how to live your most authentic life. My name is Coop Blackson, nationally best-selling author of You Are The One, transformational teacher, and your host. I invite you to subscribe to the Soul Talk podcast for weekly inspiration from me, where I will share with you some powerful ideas, thoughts, and practical life wisdom to help you live life more fully, freeing yourself from your past, reclaiming your power, and living your true life's purpose. You can also go to www.coopblackson.com, enter your name and email to download my free two-part video training series and learn the ultimate secrets to happiness and fulfillment. Let's get started with Soul Talk. Welcome everyone. Welcome to another special episode of the Soul Talk podcast. It's Coot here. We've been having some really amazing uh, episodes, amazing guests. Thanks for your feedback and emails. Love hearing how you're implementing uh, just what you've been learning on Soul Talk in your lives in a practical way and I love hearing about your wins. Uh, I'm really excited about today's episode because uh, we're going to tackle an area that I think is really important. I know many of you meditate and you're on a spiritual path, but the fact is we're in bodies, we're human beings. There's no running away from that. And uh, really understanding your body, your health uh, is, is so important. I think health is the foundation. So today's guest, I think she's a legend. You probably, especially if you're into health, you probably know of her. She's a celebrity nutritional expert, fitness hall of famer. She teaches clients how to break through food, carbon tolerances, so that they can lose weight, transform their health, their lives. She's been on, you know, she's a TV media personality. She's been on Dr. Phil, PBS, Dr. Oz, Rachel Ray. I mean, the list goes on. Uh, Her books are amazing. Uh, the Virgin Diet, The Virgin Diet Cookbook, Sugar Impact. One of the books that I really enjoyed was Warrior Mom, The Seven Secrets to Bold, Brave, Resilience. An amazing book. I saw her speak at a, a conference we both attended, TLC, and really moved me her journey. So I'm looking forward to really having her on and, and sharing her with you all. One of the reasons I really loved her, which I think she's going to get a kick out of, is uh uh, she has these products. This is not a plug, but she has these products. She has these chocolate bars. And I love her. <laughs> she doesn't know it because her chocolate bars, the coconut chocolate bar, <laughs> enables me to relive my childhood guilt-free. And so, folks, welcome to the conversation, the amazing JJ Virgin. JJ, thanks for taking time. All right. This is just a cheap ploy to get more chocolate bars. Is that it? Yeah, I'm just trying to bribe totally you. Everywhere fine. I go, I, I get chocolate I mean, you know, when I was a part of Genius Network, I, I, I swear I'd like down five of your chocolate bars each day or something, you know, but so anyway. I know. Great I to wanted to on. rename them. I was going to call them Virgin Joy, and my attorney's like, you'll get sued by Mars and by Richard Branson. Like, what are you doing? You know, but they do. I they really, really don't taste know like a candy you, bar. How you managed to dial that in. But, you know, I grew up in London, and we used to have these bars called Bounty. You may know of Bounty Bars, and it is, I mean, and they're full of sugar, or these Bounty Bars, and, you know, they were amazing as a kid, but your bars is just better than Bounty, and guilt-free, love them. Right? One gram of sugar. Like, it, that's, and that's the key thing. You can sugar. be healthy and not suffer. So, there you go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
So how did you, you know, especially I think just, just to set up, I have so many questions, AJ, but just to set up context, uh, I'm just curious, and maybe folks listening in are curious, but how did you find your path to becoming this, you know, mega health expert, fitness expert, health guru, best-selling author? You know, how did you dial in your purpose? How did that, did you grow up healthy? You have like mega healthy parents. I mean, how did that happen? Share a bit of your journey. So (laughs) I did not have mega healthy parents. I had um, my dad smoked like a chimney and um, I had every single night for dinner. I was raised on Pop-Tarts and every night we had a vegetable, a starch, a protein and dessert. Every night. So it definitely wasn't, I mean, was not raised super healthy, but I actually became obsessed with nutrition and health at age 12. And I was very, very into, I wanted to be a, well, I wanted to be a ballet dancer and a gymnast, which now, you know me, I'm six feet tall. These are not, these are not career paths for me, right? Like (laughs) there's no one to dance with when you're on point at six feet tall, you're six, three. But um, it, I got very into nutrition as I was doing those sports because it really came down. You had to be lean, right? You cannot go mm-hmm. jumping up in the air if you're carrying extra weight around. And I was lucky. I grew up in Berkeley, California. And it, probably some of the first health food stores in the country were there. And I just became obsessed with studying everything I possibly could about nutrition and fell into every ridiculous trend going on back then until I finally started when I got to UCLA. I started going back in the the library, um, the biomed library, and just going back and back and back so that what we were learning then, I mean, what we learned then was that you needed to eat low fat, that fat was making us fat, that you needed to cut it out as much as possible, that you needed to do as much aerobic exercise as possible. And thankfully, I was a personal trainer. In fact, it was me, Body by Jake, and Mark Sisson of, of Primal Kitchen. Yeah, yeah. Pers- personal trainers. <laughs> and, and I just saw wow. Mark a couple of weeks ago in Miami, and we're like, you know, we, we have literally known each other 30-plus years since those wow. days. It's just crazy. But um, wow. what I realized pretty quickly is that the things that I was being taught in school and the popular culture didn't work, and people were not going to pay me to make them worse. Right. You know, it's like no one's going to hire you and you go, you know, I'm sorry that you're gaining weight and you're sick all the time, but this is what we're supposed <laughs> to be doing. So I started looking, I was, I was training people and I would take them down to Venice gold's gym for field mm. trips because it was so crazy there, this big Mecca bodybuilding. What I noticed was what we were taught in school and what they were doing there were completely opposite. They were huh. eating, um, right? I mean, they were, because we were taught, you know, go as vegetarian, close to vegetarian as possible, super, super low fat, and do loads of cardio. They were not doing any cardio. They were doing all resistance training. They were making sure that they were getting in um, good animal protein, healthy fats, and boom, they were lean and ripped. I, I remember seeing people, and uh, wow. later on, I was in uh, USC's gerontology program because I was fascinated with like how do you how do you become amazing as you age but at Gold's Gym mm. Venice I remember this woman I was watching her from behind I'm like that's the body I want turned around I'm looking at her I'm like this woman's 70 years old <laughs> oh know? my gosh so right <laughs> you know 
Wow. Like that is so awesome. It's so awesome. You just need to know how to do these things correctly. But literally I realized what I was being taught in school was all wrong. And, you know, the thing is, it's it's all science. So I just started becoming obsessed with the science. And that's where 25, 30 years ago, I, I started talking about the fact our bodies in the bank accounts, the chemistry lab, we needed to look beyond calories to where they came from and what that impacts having on your body. I mean, back then, we didn't even talk about hormones and exercise. But I knew that doing lots of cardio burned up muscle, you know, was making us fat and age fat. Mm. And it's interesting because I just picked up this Time Magazine special edition at the airport. And it literally is all the stuff that I started talking about 25 years ago as I started to dig into biochemistry and endocrinology. There wasn't even an endocrinology text back then about exercise, but it was obvious. You could follow the pathways. And everyone, yes. just, I remember, were like, you're crazy. You're a crazy person. <laughs> <laughs> so it's finally coming out that, hey, you know, it's like where calories come from matters. I mean, obvious stuff that we all go, yeah, of course that's right. But back then it was like, you know, huge statement. What are some of the, JJ, what were some of the, 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 I guess, the myths or the lies that I think we're taught? Like you're talking about, you know, cardio is good for you, but you're, you're finding, well, cardio makes you fat, which I think a lot of people are going to be stunned by. What, what are some of the myths, the lies that were taught in terms of what health is supposed to be that you found out wasn't? Could you sort of bust some of those for us? Well, let's see. Back then, they, there was a guy, Covert Bailey, wrote a book, Fit, fit or Fat. And actually, part of the thing back then is they said you could be fit and fat. I, knowing now what we know about fat tissue not being benign, it's not like you're carrying around a backpack. It actually is um, metabolically active and metabolically active in a bad way because of all the inflammatory cytokines it has. So um, fat is not benign. You can't be fit and fat. Fat mm doesn't make you fat. Damaged fats can cause problems with your hormones, but fat in itself is not what's making us fat. It's insulin neutral. Sugar, back then it was like, you know, sugar was fine as long as it was fat free. Now we know it's it's absolutely the opposite. And there was tons of research prior to this showing how bad sugar was. It just was a big campaign by this one dude, um, Ansel Keys, who really just um, destroyed it for all of us. So the other thing we were told way back then was that you shouldn't start doing any weight training until you lost the weight that you should just do cardio. And if you couldn't do cardio for at least 30 minutes to get into your fat-burning zone, you shouldn't do it, which is so, you know, so crazy. Can you imagine? So so then wow. people are like, well, I couldn't do it, so I couldn't do it for that time, so I just didn't do it. And what was interesting back then was there, there were a couple studies that came out that, that were kind of head-scratchers that got ignored. And one of them was the 10 times three studies. So they looked at people and they said, okay, we're going to look at people that either work out 30 minutes a day. They were taught to do, you know, 30 minutes of exercise a day, or they were breaking it up into three 10 minute segments. And they were just supposed to like walk, jog, right? And what they found was the people that broke it up into three segments were fitter than the people who were supposed to do the 30 minutes. Now they surmised that it was because yeah. They either, if they couldn't do the 30 minutes, they didn't do it at all. But the other piece of it, and it's kind of obvious, is if you know you only have 10 minutes to work out, you work out harder. 
Mm. Right? So, you know, mm. that was the other mm. Makes so sense. That was a big one. Yeah. Then the other one was um this well, before I go there, I'm gonna do one other little one that drove me crazy. We were never supposed to work out too hard. We had to stay in our fat burning zone. So mm. you even to stay like seventy to eighty five percent of your um of your target heart rate, you would stay in this range and you couldn't go, go above this because then you get out of your, your fat burning zone. So you had to be, which is so ridiculous because we burn fat when we're sitting on our butt. When you're exercising, you really want to be burning off the sugar, off the stored sugar so that now your body has a place to put it so that when you can really use oxygen all the time, which is when you're sitting, you're burning fat for fuel. So that was another one. Mm. Then the third one that came up was they looked at a study where they looked at women who ran every day and they noticed Mm. that if they stopped running, even for a couple of days, they gained weight. And you know, they couldn't figure out why, quite why that was. Well, here's the real thing is they were relying on the caloric expenditure of exercise to burn off the calories instead of using the metabolic change from exercise by doing weight training where you become more insulin sensitive, you've got better metabolic rate because you've got more muscle on that requires more energy to be on. Instead of that, they were kind of burning that all up with, with aerobic exercise. And, of course, it would slow their metabolism down. The other one, you kind of got me on a rant. Um, but I remember way back when they said, you know, dieting doesn't hurt your metabolism. And it's like, well, you could just think about it and know that dieting would hurt your metabolism because you would you'd severely restrict calories. Then you would mm-hmm. lose, um, lose muscle and fat. Then you would bring the calories back up again, but your body had down-regulated to this new level, and your thyroid had adjusted too. And now all of a sudden you're eating more, and you gain more fat. So you're slowly mm-hmm. over time changing your whole, you know, your whole body composition to be higher fat, lower muscle, which means a lower metabolic rate, which is crazy mm-hmm. too. Then the other one, the... Six times a day we should graze. Remember that whole yeah. thing? The great <laughs> thing. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I mean I loved it. It was awesome, but it's not good. It's a nice idea. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's fun, that's for sure. But let's face it, every time you eat you're raising blood sugar. If you raise blood sugar, you raise insulin. If you're eating every couple hours, Blood sugar comes down quickly. Insulin doesn't. It stays up. It's Mm -hmm. pro-inflammatory. Now it's like you're at a rock concert and your ears adjust and you're used to loud noise all the time. All of a sudden your insulin's not as responsive. It's staying up and you're in fat storing mode all the time. And then you wonder why you're hungry. And you're hungry because your body can't access stored fat, you know, stored fuel for energy so it's like you have to keep eating all the time so it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy and they say you have to eat to keep your blood sugar up and i'm like no you don't or your blood sugar stable i'm like no it just keeps it up it's totally Mm. wrong so so yeah there was a lot of crazy stuff that went on back then yeah yeah sounds so what do we do i mean because uh, I'm so conditioned <laughs> to believe i mean i'm even thinking though the six times a day five times a day eat break it up i mean Part of me still believes that. I'm sure there's many folks that that listening probably believe that. So what's the truth based on what you found? What's the the bottom line? I was going to do a podcast on why I still recommend breakfast, and I thought I'll pull some more studies Mm -hmm. out because a really cool study just came out that showed that 
Um, people who eat breakfast actually tend to have a better insulin sensitivity, a better all this stuff. But then they showed that people who didn't eat breakfast tend to burn more fat in the morning. So it was just all, it was all over the board, right? About yeah. any of this stuff. So here's here's my biggest takeaway from all of this. All diets can work. I mean, you could you could sit mm. down and eat, what was it you said, a bounty bar? You could eat one bounty bar a day. You could do an intermittent fasting diet with bounty bars. And it would have, you'd mm. have some kind of metabolic effect, probably lose a little mm. weight over a week. Then you, then all sorts of problems would ensue because that's not good for your body. But, you know, I think we have to start thinking differently about how we approach diet and lifestyle understanding that, and, and it's how I've actually written all my books, Virgin Diet, Sugar Impact Diet. I, they're not actually diets. And I tried to get away from calling them diets, but my publisher was like, but that's what people buy. And I'm like, all right. right, okay. right. But they're really explorations because what I believe mm. is that we've got a whole lot of things at play. We've got our genetics. But clearly, if you look at what's happened over the last, you know, 30 years in terms of the explosion of obesity rates, it's not a genetics issue because if it was a genetics issue, this wouldn't be happening at this exponential increase, right? Yeah. So we know they say it's like maybe 3% genetics. Now, are some people more genetically uh, inclined to get diabetes? Yes, but mm -hmm. you cannot explain how we went from um, I think it was 0.5% obesity in 1900 to 40% obesity now in 2019 by genetics. Wow. It's not a genetics. So we've got genetics, wow. we've got epigenetics, and that's what diet and lifestyle and are doing to our genes. And then we've got current health problems and we've got goals. And I think you got to look at all those things and go, all right, what's my first thing that I need to tackle, you know? And mm -hmm. I always look at, I always want people to figure out which foods work for them and which foods don't. That's the virgin diet. And it's really to take mm -hmm. you through an exploration and connect the dots between how you're eating and how you feel. So you go, oh, wow, when I eat gluten, I'm, my fingers swell up. Or if I eat a bunch mm -hmm. of sugar, my energy crashes, right? I mean, so you start to connect the dots because so many of these programs tell you exactly what to eat without yeah. thinking about is this the food that works for you like or or are you hungry right now like why do you need to eat six meals if you're not hungry you know or even three mm -hmm. meals there's mm -hmm. there's cultures that have one meal a day yeah yeah right that's, that's right definitely true. <laughs> i know so what are some of the foods what are some of the foods you mentioned yeah. foods uh like I mean, there's a lot of talk about gluten now. What are some of the foods? I know in the virgin diet you talk about some of this, but what are some of the foods that we might think are good for us, but we actually should avoid? Are there, are there any foods like that that you can suggest that would be uh, applicable to us all? Yeah, it's funny because I've heard people say there are no bad foods. You know what? There are mm. bad foods. There are bad foods. Like. There's a lot of processed crap out there. They're bad foods. When you look at gluten, one of the big problems with gluten is, pro is probably more um, the gluten from wheat that's got the glyphosate on it because of, thank you, Monsanto. So we've got mm. certain things like like the issues that we have with, with heavy pesticides on some of these foods, right? Then we've got 
some of these damaged fats where we've oxidized fats, well, those are problematic too. Then we've got artificial sweeteners. Those are bad foods no one should eat. So let's look at it. Um, partially hydrogenated oils where we falsely saturated a fat. We shouldn't eat those things. Um, Gluten-containing grains, especially, you know, you may be one of those people. I find that about 40% of the people that I looked at in testing had some kind of gluten intolerance. Um, you've got the people with straight outright celiac. That's a smaller one, one in 133. They estimate it's probably more like, it's probably more like 1% of the population, 40% gluten intolerant. But I found that majority people that pulled out gluten felt better, but we don't know if that's because of mm -hmm. the insulin resistance from it. We do know that gluten makes your gut leakier, and when your gut's leakier, it makes you have more intolerance to other foods. So I think gluten's just mm -hmm. a bad food, and I've had people attack me concerned that someone's going to get a nutrient deficiency from it, but I really can't think of one nutrient deficiency you get by pulling out gluten. I can think right. of what you create. As, you know, you damage your gut, you will create problems. But it's really, mm. it's factoried meats. It's these, you know, what we're doing here with um, our chickens and our beef where we're feeding them GMO yeah. corn and soy. Those are big problems. It's all the processed food where we're using um, added sugar, high fructose corn syrup, and we're putting in, mm. um, you know, just all the added sugar, that's a problem. The artificial sweeteners are worse than the added sugar. Mm. So that's another one. Um, and, you know, it's really interesting. If you look at it, all you really need to do is kind of go back to 50 to 100 years ago and stop all the convenience stuff. Like, you don't have to go mm. to the store and read the labels because the food you really should be eating shouldn't have them. Right, right, right. What, what should we be eating? Like, uh, are there healing foods? Are there foods that tend to be better for us? You're talking about, obviously, what, whole foods? Are there any specific foods that you would recommend? So I, uh, my buddy Mark Hyman calls it the pegan diet. I, I always say in all my books, <laughs> I am not, I'm, I'm diet agnostic. If you want to be vegan, I think it is very difficult to be a healthy vegan because you've got to be aware of the nutrient deficiencies, vitamin mm -hmm. D, omega threes, um, B12. So you really have to be aware if you're going to do that diet and make sure that you're covering your bases there. Um, so I think there's a couple things at play here. It's not just what should you eat. It's also when should you eat it that's just as important. Um, how you're doing when you're eating. Are you eating on the run? Are you eating brush? Are you eating angry, right? Are you actually chewing? Um, but foods that I love are minimally processed, as whole as possible, um, organic, now, I use the Environmental Working Group has that list of the Dirty Dozen and the Clean 15. It's a lot easier to get organic than it used to be, but it's really more avoiding the genetically modified foods and the farm-raised and the, uh, you know, the animals that are kept in close captivity and jacked up with hormones and steroids and, and antibiotics and fed corn and soy. That's the challenge when you get animals yeah. fed something that's not their normal food, you know, <laughs> and start to make a difference. I'm a big fan of wild, clean fish. I think we should rotate. So here's some important principles. Eat as close to nature as possible. Rotate your foods. Um, mm. You know, eat seasonally. 
eat locally. If you're thinking about that, like when you're eating seasonally and locally, it makes such a massive difference. If you're eating seasonally locally, you're not getting a lot of the fruit that we see in the store in the winter. It doesn't exist. Right? And we were meant to rotate our food. Like, if you look at this, and this is going to sound kind of crazy because I often go on a rant about how fruit is not free food. Somewhere along the lines, and I think Weight Watchers did this, it's like, have fruit for dessert. It's like, think about fruit for dessert (laughs) because that's what it really is. And maybe have one piece a day, but this is not like you can have as much fruit as you want. During the summer when the nights are long, when we have like, or the days are long, we have uh, less sleeping time and more awake time. And this would have been, you know, a thousand years ago. We had all this fruit, which is, would have been our biggest source of fructose, which fructose helps us make fat. And we would have been able to store a lot of fat calories during the summer by gorging on fruit and not getting as much sleep so we're more insulin resistant and then in the winter we would not have had access to that stuff so we would have Mm. had things like potatoes right and hopefully some jerkies and things like that and potatoes which are really interesting food because if you cook potatoes correctly which is you boil them and you let them cool they're rich in something called resistant starch which is called that because it resists digestion which can help um your body burn fat it's really good for blood sugar balance yep Mm -hmm. i should let them cool right make sure they're cool yes let them cool i just had them right before this i went and had some i had some um, crab claws with ghee and some cooled potatoes. Wow. And and the cooled potatoes help mm-hmm. you burn fat, right? That, that, that's what I heard. It's the resistant starch. can help oh. with that. It helps with blood sugar balance. Helps with good gut microbiome. Mm. So wow. basically, here's what you want to get. You want to have some clean protein. And you are what you eat ate. So this is where it gets really challenging. I think the hardest food to find healthy nowadays is chicken because you want to find these pasture Mm. chickens. If you go to the store and you look at a chicken breast and it's like the size of your thigh, that is not a pasture chicken. (laughs) Mm. Pasture chickens are little chickens. And then you want to eat grass-fed beef, wild fish, right? So clean protein, healthy fats, avocados. Um, nuts and seeds that you've soaked and slow roasted so they're more digestible and coconut and olives Mm. and olive oil that kind of stuff and then uh, loads and loads of non-starchy vegetables as much as you possibly can do ideally is about 10 servings a day and then a little bit of slow low carbs and those are where you want to focus on minimally processed so wild rice Mm. or I'm a big fan of legumes and they also mm, resist legumes. starch in them. Yeah, one of a really that's where I that's where I go off the uh, reservation on paleo because I think legumes are a super healthy food. Um, squash is another one that I think is a great one. So a little bit of those slow low carbs and and then the other side of it too, that's so important is it's also when you eat. Um, you yeah, know, I was going to ask you mentioned being, that, you know, the when you eat part. What what's the deal with the timing mm-hmm. and when you eat? What what do you mean by that? Because there's a lot of different philosophies on time. Oh, my gosh. There's so many. And by the way, there's so much research on all of it that you could, when it comes down to it, here's what I think is going to come out in the next five to ten years. The reason there's so much difference in in recommendations on when you should eat, I think it's going to come down to 
whether genetically you're more of a night owl or an early bird. And I think what we're going to find is that early birds are the ones that need to eat breakfast and do better when they do. Now, Mm. I used to tell people eat within an hour of waking up. I tell people to eat within an hour or two of waking up. Here's what the the latest on breakfast is. is people who are overweight or obese do better when they eat breakfast. They actually helps them with better insulin sensitivity, lowers their risk of type 2 diabetes, um, gives them better blood sugar control. And Mm. even though they eat a little bit more because of breakfast, they increase their energy expenditure so it compensates for it. Someone who's lean and fit can skip breakfast. They'll be in fat-burning mode. They they kind of, they have more what we call metabolic flexibility. So it really depends on how, Mm. what makes you feel best. I'm better skipping dinner than I am skipping breakfast. And I think what we'll find with, Mm. um, you know, night owls versus early birds is that the night owls are the ones that would skip breakfast and eat dinner and the early birds would do the opposite. The important thing is to look at your meal eating window. And there's been a lot of, a lot of cool research on time restricted eating. And and that means eating between say either an eight hour window, a 10 hour window, Mm -hmm. a 12 hour window. And as I start to work with people, the first thing that I always do is have them make sure they're eating that protein, fat, and fiber trifecta I talked about. So the fiber coming from non-starchy vegetables and slow, low carbs. I get them to cut the snacks out and drink a lot of water Mm. in between meals because they're usually thirsty, not hungry. And the water can boost your metabolism as much as 300 calories a day. Then I start working on 12-hour eating window. Then I try to work it down Mm. to 10-hour eating window. And then I work on a couple days a week doing an intermittent fast of eight hours where they mm. have, you know, an early, I like it, especially on the weekends, sleep in a bit, have a later breakfast mm. brunch, and then have an early mm. dinner. Like yesterday we had this, my kids came over and we had this like pre-Super Bowl thing. So we ate, we had breakfast around, I think, I don't know, 10 or so, maybe 11. And then we had this thing at around four and then we were done. So mm. I look on the weekends for how can I do how can I do an eight hour eating window, mm. and then normal weekdays it should be ten to twelve max, and always stopping eating three to four hours before bed. If you eat late night, it actually can, yeah. creates a bigger blood sugar response to your breakfast meal. Mm. So three to four hours before sleep, and that can be any time. That could be if I'm going to sleep at. 3 a.m. so 11 p.m. so it doesn't it, well so there's a there's a little take to that there's a <laughs> I'm glad you <laughs> so here's what I discovered um, I discovered that when I didn't tell people that they needed to you know I said okay stop eating three to four hours before bed and then what I discovered is people just started to go to bed later and later and later and I'm like that is not what I meant that that was not <laughs> the point of this thing so the point is to go to bed during a normal circadian rhythm. Now, I used to be very, very hardcore about when that was. But then again, if you look at the new genetics research, there are definitely early birds and night owls. Mm-hmm. And it's it's interesting. I don't know if you've noticed this, but the night owls are the creatives and the early birds tend to be more the left-brainers. So it just really comes down to having a normal sleep pattern for you, ideally still working within the circadian rhythm because we're tied to the earth. So you don't want to be staying up all night. (laughs) Right. So, Mm -hmm. but it might be for you going to bed at 11 or 12, whereas for me, it's going to bed at nine or 10. 
you know, so we all mm. find our little thing, but the consistency is one of the more important things there. Mm, gotcha. And for someone, uh, AJ, who let's say, I'm sure there's folks listening in, they're, they're listening to this conversation, and, and maybe there's folks out there, because I know a few of these folks. I mean, they've tried everything. I mean, they've tried every, like diets and exercise plan, and they still, they can't lose the weight for some reason. Is is there a uh, a, a mindset thing that you've seen when you've worked with people, a difference between those that have, say, have succeeded in losing weight and keeping it off, uh, not just everything you're saying in terms of diet and doing the right things, but is there a mindset that's different between those that have succeeded and those that maybe haven't succeeded? Is there anything you've seen there, differences, a uh, way of thinking? Uh, talk to me about that, the mental game. Well, I think there's a mental game, but I also think there's very clear physiological things that's in effect that are causing the problem. And here's what yeah, it is. Yeah, tell me. So 80% of people who lose weight, in fact, I was just reading the, the research on The Biggest Loser, and I haven't, I think if we were to follow up on the Dr. Phil challengers, I know, I still talk to a couple of them, and I know one kept the weight off, but I'm betting she was probably the only one. And 80% of the people on Biggest Loser gained the weight back, and a lot of them gained more. And that actually follows pretty that's, – that's pretty typical across the board. So it's why I think we've got to look at diets differently. So what you want to do is use a diet, like let's say version diet. You go through it. You figure out which foods work for you and which foods don't. don't and you stabilize after that. You pull in. You know, you say, okay, now, like, I'm just going to create my diet now without gluten in it. I'm going to make sure I'm eating my protein, fat, and fiber. And – not having snacks. You get very solid with that. And then once you're solid with that, you go, okay, what's next? I'm ready to go to the next phase and learn something new. Maybe I do sugar impact diet to see where sugar sneaking into my diet. Stabilize there. Pull in that stuff. So each time you go on a diet, you go for a specific outcome to learn things and you pull that in and you go through a stability phase where it becomes your lifestyle. And that may take you weeks, it may take you months, but you have to really do that and you need accountability and a coach and community. And it's all along the way, and I've always been obsessed with why aren't some people losing weight? Is it a mindset game or is it a hormone game? Is it endocrinology? Is it biochemistry? And I think it's all of the above where, where we get into trouble is, is we might have a problem with say our thyroid or we have, we have a sex hormone imbalance or maybe we're insulin resistant or we've got, um, some issues with our gut microbiome or we've got a massive toxicity problem. Um, Any of these things can cause you to hold on to weight and gain weight. And people will think that you're cheating. And I've seen this time and time again, people eating so little. What I started to notice from my clients early on was they were hardly eating. They were not like people all thought they were out there picking out. And I'm like going, uh, this person's not picking out like this person's hardly eating anything because, uh, you know, I, I actually took a group of people away and I had them with me for a week. And some people on a very specific structure plan where everyone should have lost weight, some people gained weight and there was no way to cheat. So that's why I was like, all right, what's, what is really going on? And if, if any of those other factors, thyroid, adrenal, sleep, insulin, all these things going on start to hit, 
and you're trying so hard, the problem is in your mindset you go, oh, see, I just, this will never work. And you lose hope and you lose faith in yourself. So mm. there's got to be that mindset in there that says, I will figure this out. I'm going to do whatever it takes to get there. I know it's going to take time. And it's one of those things like Brene Brown says, comparison kills joy, stay in your lane. The big problem is you see all those advertisements that are like, I lost 10 pounds in three days, you know, and you're like, well, what's wrong with me, right? And that's, that's what's so disappointing because then people, everyone else looks at you like you're, you know, well, they're just lazy. When the truth is, it, that's not it at all. They've just got a damaged metabolism and they've got to go back and figure out, you know, having a weight problem is just a symptom of something not working well in your body. Mm. And yes, you know, food's contributory to that. But what I saw when I was really working tightly with one-on-one and now even more with, you know, working with thousands of people at a time is that yes. quite often it's been those habits over time that have now done this damage that even when you start to do everything healthy, your body still sticks because you've got to heal all that damage. And so you've got to have a mindset in there that says, no matter what, I'm going to figure this out. I know that I can repair. It's going to take time, but it didn't take me, didn't take me a week to get this way and I'm not going to fix it in a week either. And that's getting those unrealistic expectations out of the way. I love it. The mind, that mindset, I think, is so important. That I think it's really helpful to hear that. Um, it's I, I'm everything. Curious, I, you I, know, I, when I was on, I'll, I'll share this one with you. I think it's really important from Dr. Phil. And he used to say, like, the biggest determinant whether someone's going to be successful here is whether they believe they can. Mm. Mm. That's key. Folks, I hope you're hearing that. The biggest determinant is whether you believe you can. I think it's so important. You know, I have a, I have a question, JJ. This is like a dr- I've been kind of a you've you've mentioned the word the S word, which is uh, you know, it's I'm dancing around it, but I think we have to just speak to it in this conversation since I have you here. You wrote a book on it, sugar. And so <laughs> I was like, "What S word are we talking about?" <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I, I don't, okay. you know, I'm a little sweet tooth. I don't want to talk about. I'm trying to dance around the sugar conversation, but t- talk to us a bit about the the impact of sugar. What's the impact? Um, I think there's so many places too that we don't know in our diets and where we eat in our lifestyle. Sugar exists, you know. We go, oh, "I'm got off sugar," but I'm eating all this stuff that has sugar. So. What's the yeah. of sugar? Why is it important? Do we have to get off sugar? You know, it's, why is it so hard to get off sugar? Is there an easier way to sort of get off sugar without it feeling like hell weak? You know, can, can you just speak to a little bit about sugar, the impact, and how to how to have a healthy relationship to start moving off of sugar? And you know, it's interesting with sugar. Sugar, this there's a big genetic component to sugar. So, I'm adopted. Mm. I was raised. My adopted mom absolutely has a crazy sweet tooth. And I was literally raised Pop-Tarts and, and you know, these Svensson's um, sweet mm. rolls for breakfast and, <laughs> ooh, and Captain Crunch and Cocoa Puffs and all this stuff. <laughs> and dessert, we always had dessert around the house. And, and then at age 12, I'm like, I'm done with all this stuff. And I actually do mm. not genetically have a sweet tooth. I don't really like sweet. I'll eat oh. it, but... Eh. Now, we can create a sweet tooth. My mom was created a sweet tooth with me. Exposure equals preference. The more sweet you eat, the more you want. That's why artificial sweeteners can be so problematic. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and stress, if you're under stress, is going to make you crave sugar because it lowers serotonin. Um, and if you become mm-hmm. insulin resistant, it's going to make you crave sugar because your body can't access stored fat for fuel. So you're always needing energy. So your blood sugar dumps and guess what you want. So sugar mm-hmm. is um, a drug. It's our number one drug of choice. No question. It's our. It's a huge problem. They did a study where they exposed rats to Oreo cookies and opiates. And when they looked at them with the opiates, they lit up the pleasure center of the brain. And then they gave them the Oreo cookies, lit up the same pleasure center of the brain. And then they gave them the choice between either one of those two things. I'm sorry, it was morphine or uh, Oreo cookies. And they chose the Oreo cookies. No, that's crazy. I say this (laughs) because people got to understand, like, it is a drug. I mean, it is a drug. Mm -hmm. And when I wrote Virgin Diet, I threw sugar in there because, like, I, you know, I realized that if I had them pull out those seven foods and not sugar, they could actually get worse, not better. But after I wrote that book, the biggest question I got asked about was sugar. People were like, and I, and even at TLC, I got, like, in an argument multiple times over this. People were like, oh, it's <laughs> just honey. One, one gal said to me, oh, no, I don't believe honey is sugar. I'm like, well, you don't. You can believe what you want, but this is Santa. This is like, we're not talking about the Easter money or Santa. We're talking about honey. Flip over, like, Google honey nutrition facts. What else is it? It's, of course, sugar. Mm. And then they'll Mm. say, oh, it's all natural. I'm like, it doesn't matter. It gets into your Mm. mouth, and it goes, it it starts telling your body, right? I mean, there's there's two things sugar is going to become. It's glucose or fructose. And Mm. fructose is worse by far. Right. It's why, you know, and don't think just because it's from fruit, it's safe. That's why eating a piece of fruit's got the benefits because you've got some fiber. Don't go crazy. One or two pieces. You've got the fiber, got the phytonutrients. But when you unwrap that fruit and turn it into a soda by making it a juice, you've got a problem because you're going to have kids. Um, But, you know, so you've got sugar that is going to age you faster than anything, dump your immune system, tweak your insulin receptors. And if it's fructose, it's going straight to the liver because it's the only organ that can metabolize it. And if it can't be turned into glucose and stored there for energy later, which it probably can't because there's not much space there, it's being turned into fat. And we get fatty liver and we get hypertension and we get diabetes and we get these things feed cancers. So I had to write that book because I realized that people had no clue where sugar was sneaking in, that it was in that low fat Mm -hmm. salad dressing. In fact, whenever you see low fat or light, Mm -hmm. assume they added sugar because if they took something out, they got to put something in. They can't sell you air. Mm -hmm. Right. So. That's the that is so the big issue is that it's super addictive, it's super aging, it's super inflammatory, and it's super fattening. And it's responsible for like if ourselves? you look at it, yeah. How do you wean yourself? How, so, how, so yeah, fat. how do you wean ourselves off this this <laughs> drug? Basically, it's, I mean, you now it's now we're clear it's a drug. It's clear. I think we yeah. all have to you know yeah. make peace with that, right? So how do we get off of it? And honey, and honey is is not, you know, like, sure, if you've got some seasonal allergies, use some local, organic, raw, unfiltered honey and use a half of a teaspoon. But this whole idea mm-hmm. that it's safe, it's honey, it's all natural. I mean, honestly, I, I think I'm going to do a talk at TLC and just do a rant on it. But um, mm. 
and artificial sweeteners are worse, by the way. So don't think artificial sweeteners are a choice. Things like stevia, monk fruit, allulose, xylitol, erythritol are things that I use as, as ways to start to do that tapering. So here's how I do it. Number one, do not go cold turkey. That is, that is absolutely going to set you up to fail because most likely if you have not been paying attention to sugar, it's been sneaking into places you'd never expect. And you've turned yourself into a sugar burner, which means that you can't go more than two to three hours without eating, without getting hungry and a little bit crabby. When you lose weight, you can't lose weight off your waist. You've got a little bit of brain fog. You mm-hmm. crave sugar. So what we want to do is transition you from being able to, um, from being a sugar burner to be able to be a fat burner. And that can happen pretty quickly, but it doesn't happen overnight. So the first thing that I have people do is really do that fat, fiber, protein um, meals. And then I have you identify, and I use this thing called a sneaky sugar inventory, um, how much sugar is really sneaking in. And then I've categorized these different things because realize all carbohydrates except for fiber turn into sugar. It's just a matter of whether you're mainlining it making it slowly or making it quickly. And obviously you want to make it slowly from the food you eat. And that's the difference between, say, a legume, right, versus, um, you know, drinking a soda. Um, But what I have, what I do is I divide it into categories and it's basically high sugar impact, medium sugar impact, and low sugar impact. And I have you over the first week swap your high sugar impact foods for medium sugar impact foods And then the next week I have you swap your medium sugar impact foods for low sugar impact foods so that you're Mm. stepping it down and tapering while you're retraining your taste buds to appreciate spicy and savory. And I'm using sour too because sour actually can take your sweet tooth away. Mm, Got it. So there's a transition. Mm -hmm. Because when I looked at all the books, what I did when I was going to write this book on sugar impact, I wanted to see what else had gone before me. And I had a nice mm. feeling that the reason that people failed is because they just tried to quit cold turkey. And mm-hmm. sure enough, that's what I saw in all like the negative reviews on the books was like that, you know, I tried it for three mm-hmm. days and I'm like, see that you got to step them into it. Mm. Mm. I was kind of hoping, JJ, you were going to say there was like a special sort of, you know, law of attraction, manifestation, meditation I could do. That could <laughs> no, that's you. Visualize yeah. the sugar yeah. away and <laughs> I, could, I could have my chocolate cake and, you know, it has no calories, right? Uh, well, you can have those chocolate know. bars. You can totally have those chocolate bars. Those are oh, really good. I, I'm, I'm dreaming about them now. I, I want to just and know, dark chocolate. I, I dark chocolate's fine yes. too, and dark chocolate mousse. Did you have my dark chocolate mousse the first night you at know TLC? I have that my recipe. Dark chocolate mousse. Oh, that, wait, just last week. Yes, that, that was my recipe. That, I had no idea that was you. That was you. That's Wasn't amazing. that amazing? Yeah, that was amazing. So yep. look, I know. So I you know can do where, this and uh, not be, uh, you know, not feel deprived. That's the point. That's good to know. Uh, I know time is short, JJ. I have a couple more questions for you. One of them is slightly, uh, I mean, you've you've just been pouring so much information. I'm, I have probably seven pages of notes I'm taking. Folks, if you're listening in, I'm, I'm on uh, Soul Talk with the amazing JJ Virgin, author of The Virgin Diet. Um, she's really sharing some, some amazing uh, health, fitness, uh, knowledge today. Uh, but I want to just, 
I have a couple of questions. One, one is a little, little different track, if that's cool, JJ. I know, you know, you've been in this field. You've built a successful business. You, you're a mega best-selling author. I think there's a lot of folks also listening today who, I, I would say my community, you know, they have a desire to make a difference as a speaker, as a teacher, maybe in the fitness field, the health field, the yoga field, as a healer, as a personal growth field. And I'm just curious, based on your experience, and I've watched you, I've seen you do really successful book launches, and you know, you're, you're out there doing amazing things, having an amazing impact on, on, on millions of people. So I think for those who want to uh, teach and serve and have an impact, is there anything you could share? You know, you've been at it 30 years. You started way back, and you've seen your industry and the personal growth industry evolve. Is there any advice you could give an aspiring uh, teacher, coach, healer who wants to have an impact and they're beginning in this industry in terms of if you could distill some of the key lessons you've learned as a as someone who started from scratch and has built a global brand? So it's interesting. I, I um, have been obsessed with how mm. I'm very left-brained, so I'm super left-brained, mm. which probably don't know, like math's my favorite subject, very left right. And if you look at all my books and stuff, they're very algorithmical. So I was obsessed because when I really hit it here, I mean, this, you know, I've been in this field for 30 years, but it it was, I did all this stuff online. I was like, what was the process? Because I, people, I was learning so many different things from so many different coaches, but no one could distill it down to do this, do this, do this. And I finally, one night I was Mm. like, I know there's a process because, you know, I have this group Mindshare with, Mm. we we have like five, 600 doctors coming to an event every year, but thousands of people in the group. And I wanted to be able to give them a roadmap on how to do this. Mm -hmm. And one night Mm -hmm. I just woke up at 4 a.m. and it all came out of my head. This is why I'm not a real good writer because I never know when any of this Mm -hmm. stuff's coming out. It's like, you know, it's hard to have, you Mm -hmm. know, it can't come out on schedule. It just comes out when it wants. Mm -hmm. But there really actually is um, an algorithm. Now it will change based on what's, you know, what's the hottest things right now in terms of how to attract an audience. But there's some basic things that never, ever change. And the basic things that never, ever change is the first thing is, is why, you know, why do you want to do this in the first place? And what is it that really lights you up? I knew way back when that I was obsessed with this whole idea of, and I didn't see anyone talking about it, which is another key thing. I knew I had a unique novel approach to something and that weight loss and diets are a hugely crowded field. But what I saw was all the stuff that we're talking about was ridiculous. It didn't work, but no one was calling a bluff on it, right? And so mm. I became obsessed with what could get in the way of you losing weight or cause you to gain weight. And I started to look. I actually went around the country. I had a course for doctors for years called Overcoming Weight Loss Resistance. And within that course, there was a little bit about we didn't even call it food intolerance then. My agent and I sat down one day and went, what should we call it? It was uh, food sensitivity. I'd keep correcting people because mm. it was like they go allergies. I go, not allergies. But, mm. you know, that's 
where that came from. But the important thing was I found subjects I was in love with. I had a different take on that subject. I was willing to die on mm. that hill for it, right? I found the audience, and I have two audiences that I love to work with. And so I have my consumer audience, and I'm very clear on who they are. Like, we actually got a group mm. together last year, and they all look like the same person. I mean, they all are so <laughs> similar to one another. And then I love working in the B2B field with health experts and doctors. So I knew my audience mm. I wanted to serve. And then I had the social proof, and I think this is super important. In this world of podcasts and social media and yeah. everything else, where we really need to start is in a small group of people where you can actually mm. look them in the eye. Because like whenever I'm testing something new, whenever I've got a new concept, I don't test it, you know, by sending out, like I'd never go make a program and, and send it out to thousands of people. I go speak to a small group and mm. see how they respond. Mm. Because if they don't follow me out of the room wanting to know more, this is not something I need mm. to pursue or I'm talking to the wrong audience. So right. I love the, book Pat Flynn wrote, Will It Fly? We have to really look at something and get some, you know, see if it actually works. And you can't do that at your desk. You got to get out and start mm. talking about it and then build that platform on it and figure out where, what you really want to own. Is it, is it video? Is it podcasting? Is it blogging? Something that really fits your personality and then turn up the volume mm. on yourself and do it. You know, it's like we would say nowadays, oh, it's so crowded now. But, you know, it's never crowded for amazing. It's never crowded mm. when you're excellent. And, and it's never mm. crowded if you are going to keep going. Like, this is 30 years in the making, right? Mm. So if you, if you find something that you want to make your life's work and you just say, I'm going to grind, and I'm going to look for who else out there is doing amazing work that could help me. And I'm going to hire coaches. And I'm just going to keep asking questions of, you know, how do I get this out and impact more people? I used to ask the question, it was right before I got on Dr. Phil. It's like, how do I reach a million people? How do I reach a million people? And the next thing you know, I'm on Dr. Phil for two years. And then I was like, well, wow. all right, so. I can cross a million people off the list. So how do I how do I reach a billion people? Was my next question mm. to myself, and that's where my mindshare summit all came from. Was mm. I reach a billion people when I help thousands of doctors yes. and healthcare, you know, health experts? Boom, mm. you know, it becomes actually mm. a very easy number to do. Mm. I love it. I love it, JJ. Thank you so much. I mean, it's it's. Uh, it's clear to me listening to you that not only are you the real deal, but it, it's clear that this health, fitness, nutrition, weight loss, this stuff is real for you. It clearly lights you up. 30 years later, I mean, I feel the passion in your voice. I feel, you know, as much as you're saying your left brain, I feel your heart just pouring out. And you can't do that unless it's real. And uh, so I'm really glad that you persevered and you're sharing your message with the world. And I think the world is definitely, we're, we're blessed, definitely blessed by your message. So just, just thank you. Thank you for being you. Uh, my final question, uh, if there were, you know, you've shared a lot today, but if there were, let's say, three key uh, life lessons, if, there were the, if you were to think of the three most important things you've learned in your life that if you could only pass these three things on to your kids and their grandchildren, this, this doesn't have to be just nutritional stuff. It could be just life lessons that you've learned as a human being, as a soul on this 
you know, human journey. What would those three key life lessons be that you'd pass on to the next generation that you would uh, like to share with those listening today? And I hope I, I pass these on to my kids. Um, hmm. I think we we create our own family. So, you know, I wanted to be really cool with my kids, so they choose me. I heard something about how I think once your kids uh, graduate high school, you've seen them 90% of how much you're going to see them in for the rest of their life. I was like, oh, my gosh. And I this morning, my kids were over yesterday, and this morning I get from my um, 22-year-old, 21-year-old, I miss you already. I'm so lucky to be your son. Uh, and, wow. you know, and, and, then, she, and he, then he writes, keep an eye out for moments when I can come say hi and hang out for a bit. Like, mm. those are, you know, but I also have taught him, I brought in, introduced him to a lot of um, my friends, and, and uh, so we'd have some more elders, because we don't really have a big extended mm. family, of just how to create your own family of amazing people, and mm. really have deep connections. I think that's one of the scariest things impacting our health, is um, lack of community and deep connections and it doesn't have to be your blood-borne family the next one is managing your mindset every single day so using a journal starting off the morning and ending the day correctly right you know with gratitude and appreciation celebrating those wins and then the third thing that I've always worked on is always having a coach Got it. Always having a coach. So creating your own family, managing your mindset, and always having a coach. Beautiful. Three keys. Mm-hmm. Folks, you heard it. Three keys from JJ Virgin. JJ, is there a, a, a homework assignment, like a simple step that you could just assign as a, as a homework assignment uh, so that those listening in, listening in could just immediately apply one specific tangible thing literally right now? Uh, once listening to this conversation, assign a homework. So here's interesting that what I just talked about, that mindset thing. Yes. I realized one of the things that helped me get through, you know, the crazy time of publishing the Virgin Diet with my son in a coma, mm. sitting next to him in, in a hospital, you know, was mindset was everything. And I already had it in place because mm. there's, you can't, when you're in the middle of a crisis, it's not the time where you go, you know, time to start to learn how to meditate. No, that's not happening then. Yeah. So I already had really had 20 years of mindset training in in my hip pocket. And one of the things that I mm. did then that I taught in uh, Miracle Mindset is something called my jam, my gratitudes, appreciation, and little miracles. And it is starting every single day out, writing down three things you're grateful for. Super simple. Write three things. Easy. And once you start writing three, you'll find that's hard to stop. And then throughout the day, if you find that you are getting irritated, annoyed, pissed off, or anything else, it happens, right? Do a pattern interrupt and send a text to someone and tell them what you appreciate about them. Because that Mm. is the fastest way to shift out of that, you know, negative Nelly mood. At the end of the day, and this is the one that I've always had the biggest challenges on, is celebrating those wins. Um, but at the end of the day, it's the little miracles. I did it when Grant was in the hospital because it kept me sane. Mm. When, you know, you have no idea if your son's going to, when you come the next day, if he's going to be alive, if he's ever going to wake up. So I had to look at any little thing, like, you know, he wiggled his toe, <laughs> like whatever, mm. to 
celebrate every single day. So just like there's three things you're grateful for in the morning, there's three little miracles, three little wins at the end of the day. And that's it. Your jam. Everybody can do that. It's five minutes or less. It's free. Mm, I love it. Three things you're grateful for in the morning, folks. Three wins that you can celebrate at the end of the day. A little homework from the amazing JJ version. I'd like you to email me. Let me know. Coop Blackson at coopblackson.com. Email me. Let me know your key takeaways from this amazing episode. And uh, let me know how the your jam assignment goes. JJ, what's the best way people can find out about your work? I want my entire community, folks, first, go and get uh, JJ's book, The Virgin Diet, The Sugar Impact Diet. Also, uh, Warrior Mom, we didn't even get to talking about some of the stuff <laughs> in that book, which is really moving. We're going to have to have you back. Uh, but what's the best way people can find out about you and your work and just what you're up to? At jjvirgin.com. Easy peasy. Awesome. Awesome. jjvirgin.com. We'll, we'll put the, the link in the show notes. JJ, like seriously, deep appreciation. I love spending time with you today. Thank you for just pouring out and being so generous with your energy, your time, and just your wisdom and knowledge. So definitely please come back to Soul Talk. Everyone, I told you this was going to be amazing. The amazing JJ Virgin. Check out her work, jjvirgin.com. And let me know how you enjoyed this episode. Please do download, subscribe, share it with all your friends. I'll catch you in the next episode of Soul Talk. Love now. If you've enjoyed this episode of Soul Talk, please do share the podcast with all of your friends. Let everyone know and make sure you download Soul Talk today. I'm looking forward to next week where I'll get to share more inspiration with you. Meanwhile, follow me on Facebook, Instagram, or social media. You can find out more about my work at www.coopblackson.com. If you feel ready to take your life to the next level, join me at my exclusive event in Bali, www.boundlessblissbali.com, where you can find out more and apply. Also, make sure to remember to download my free two-part video training series and learn the ultimate secrets to happiness and fulfillment at coopblackson.com. Sending you all big hugs and love now.